You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 65 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And this week we have new listeners from London, Cardiff, Portsmouth, Guildford, Birmingham, Nottingham, Southampton, Derby, Bristol, Leeds, Eastleigh and Winchester, all in the UK. New listeners from Dublin, County Wicklow and County Wexford in Ireland. New listeners from Chamonix, Paris and Montpellier in France. New listeners from Barcelona in Spain, from Brussels in Belgium, from Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, Tilburg and Eindhoven, all in the Netherlands. From Hamburg, Bremen, Dusseldorf, Dortmund, Bonn, Cologne, Frankfurt and Stuttgart and Munich, all in Germany. From Copenhagen in Denmark, from Bergen in Norway, from Gothenburg in Sweden, from Helsinki in Finland, from Warsaw in Poland, from Budapest in Hungary, from Belgrade in Serbia, from Vienna in Austria, from Geneva, Zurich, Bern and Brieg, all in Switzerland, from Milan and Venice in Italy, from Moscow in Russia, from Tel Aviv in Israel, Johannesburg in South Africa, Delhi in India, Hong Kong, Seoul in South Korea, Tokyo in Japan, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane, all in Australia, Sao Paulo in Brazil, Quebec in Canada, Kingston in Jamaica, and then from the USA this week we have new listeners in Pittsburgh, Pasco, Richland, Boston, San Francisco, Atlanta, Dallas, Fort Worth, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Seattle, San Diego, Lafayette, New York, Denver, Jacksonville, Chicago, Washington DC, Rochester, High Point, Minneapolis, Houston and Lexington. So once again, big wide welcome to all my new listeners right around the world and of course a big shout as always to all my regular listeners all over 10,000 of you now who tune in from across the world to catch up on the latest news in GDPR. And I really appreciate you all taking 30 minutes or so out of your week to listen to the latest news in GDPR. And also thank you to those of you who send me feedback. I really do appreciate the feedback that you send in. If you have any comments on the show at all, or suggestions for future articles, things you think we could do better, um, things you'd like to see covered more, or indeed people you'd like to see interviewed on the show, or perhaps you'd like us to interview you for the show, then please do get in touch. Send an email to podcasts at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co dot UK, and I'll make sure that I read your uh, feedback. I read all the emails that I receive, but unfortunately for time reasons I don't have the opportunity to necessarily respond directly to every single one. But please be assured that everyone is read, and wherever possible we look to incorporate any of your ideas or suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, without further ado, in a few moments I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in episode 65 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a look at how GDPR is going to affect activity during the current UK general election. We then have news from the Supreme Court of Morrison's appeal against liability for a data breach. We then have news of a data breach at 
IT security firm Trend Micro, and then another data breach at the University of Hertfordshire. And our final data breach for this week is from Facebook. This week has also seen the first fine imposed under the new German GDPR penalty regime, and we have some news on that. And also, we finish this week with a look at how GDPR is endangering the future of the PubWatch scheme in some areas across the country. So, once again, a complete mixed bag of articles for you. I hope you find them informative, entertaining and useful. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. With the general election firmly underway here in the UK, I felt it was worthwhile having the first article this week dedicated to political campaigning and GDPR as it applies in the UK. If you are processing personal data as part of your political campaigning activities, you will need to comply with GDPR. Personal data includes, but is not limited to, names and addresses from the electoral register, the marked electoral register, or indeed names and addresses of members of your political party. It also includes any information an individual has provided to you or any information that you infer about individuals. If you contact individuals to promote your political view or to otherwise influence them, this is considered direct marketing, which is also regulated by GDPR and also the Privacy and Electronic Communication Regulation, commonly known as PECA. Direct marketing includes contact by post, email, SMS, voicemail, phone messages. So almost any way you can think of sort of face-to-face contact of uh, speaking with the member of the public and it falls under GDPR. If you're new to GDPR, then we recommend that you at the very least, look to obtain the Guide to Data Protection from the ICO. We also have a very simple guidance document for potential candidates to use, and if you'd like a copy of that document, please just email us at podcast.insurability.co.uk and we will get a copy of that document sent over to you. And obviously, if your organisation or your branch of political party would like more training or more advice or consultancy then of course we'd be delighted to provide that to you over the election period so please do get in touch with us straight away on podcast.insurability.co.uk so that we can arrange some training or consultancy for you. We do provide training and consultancy to a number of local authorities and political groups throughout the UK and so we're well versed in this particular sector of the market so if you do require help please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we will do our very best to help you. So to come back to some basics for campaigners what are your main obligations? You must tell individuals how you use their personal data. This includes data you receive directly from the individual or from any third parties. And you must explain that in a clear, accessible and transparent way. And what I would say to campaigners here is that if you're having a street stall or if you're going door-to-door canvassing as part of your activity during this general election, please do make sure that people who are going out on the doorstep know these things on what data you hold and how you process it. It's a good idea to laminate a copy of your party privacy policy 
and make sure that each person going out canvassing has easy access to that. So if someone asks to see your privacy policy on the doorstep, it's a simple matter of showing them the laminated sheet and they can read it and get your privacy policy. Don't forget to retrieve that from them, of course, to take it away with you because you don't want to keep having to laminate copies of your privacy policy. Secondly, you must be able to demonstrate your compliance with the law. This includes being able to provide a full record of how their personal data was obtained and how it's being processed. And so it's very important that you understand that, or all of your canvassers understand, that someone might ask them what data does your political party hold about them. That is a valid data subject access request. And it's very important that that gets fed back to your central party so they can provide that information out to the individual who's made the request. A verbal request is all it needs. They don't need to provide the request in writing or on a form. They can just ask any one of your canvassers. So make sure your canvassers are briefed that they know that they may be asked for data and if they are, what their response should be. Now, campaigners, of course, often obtain personal data, including inferred data from third-party data brokers for electional campaigning purposes. However, if you do obtain data from third-party sources, make sure that you know what, how that data was gathered and what consent was given, if any, when that data was captured. Because if there was no consent, then probably you can't use that data. If you're relying on a lawful basis of consent to send political messages through electronic communications, you must ensure you have the appropriate record of consent from the individual. So you must be able to prove that somewhere you can prove when and where that person gave consent to you to contact them electronically. If you process special category data, such as political opinions, health or ethnicity, you must identify both the lawful basis for processing and the condition for processing, and these must both be documented. And again, I would suggest that's something that you put on the laminated sheet that you give to your canvassers. If you or your party are intending to provide personal data to a third-party organisation, such as a social media platform, maybe Facebook, for advertising, for example, make sure that your individuals who you've gathered that data from are aware that you may be using their data that way. Because whilst as a campaigner, you will want to make sure that you gather as much information as possible and you want that information to be as accurate as possible, it all falls under GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018. So make sure that you do it right. And one final thing is that if you do need to register yourself as a data controller, then under law change that came into force on the 1st of April 2019, you no longer have to pay the ICO a data protection fee. You still have to register with the ICO, that's not changed, but you don't have to pay the annual fee. So if you are only processing the data for political reasons, you don't need to pay a fee, you just need to register with the ICO. If you're using it for any other function, such as fundraising, then you do need to register with the ICO and you do need to pay a fee. So think carefully about how each individual is using the data. As I say, it's a, it's a area where there are a number of pitfalls. And so if you need any advice, don't hesitate. Please do email us at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And we'll probably repeat this item again a couple of times as we lead up to the general election. 
If you're a member of the public in the UK and you're concerned about what data a political party is holding about you, then ask them. Either ask the canvasser when they come in the door or find the address of your local branch and write to them or write to the head office of the political party and ask them to provide you with what information they hold about you. You're perfectly entitled to do that. They're not allowed to charge you for it. So if you want to know, make sure that you do ask. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show and have been for quite some time, you may remember that back in episode 12 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we mentioned about Morrison's supermarket and a data breach from their payroll and that they had been found liable for damages by the High Court. Well, this week, Morrison succeeded in taking their case back to the Supreme Court. So having now been through the High Court and the Appeal Court, they've now reached the Supreme Court. And again, they're making an appeal as they attempt to overturn their prior judgments that held it liable for a 2014 leak of employee data. Because they want to do this because there's a potential lawsuit against them from more than 9,000 victims i.e. people who were employees of Morrison's supermarket at the time of the data breach. As before, the claimants in the lawsuit, who had grown in number since the previous cases thanks to the publicity given to the previous cases, are represented by Manchester-based JMW solicitors alongside 5RB barristers. Nick McAllenon, partner and data privacy specialist at JMW solicitors, in a statement said this will be Morrison's second attempt to exonerate itself after being found legally responsible by the High Court and the Court of Appeal for a large-scale data breach which affected tens of thousands of Morrison staff. The Senior Justice of the Supreme Court, including the President of the Supreme Court, Lady Hale, will now hear Morrison's appeal. Now to give you a little bit of history, the 2014 breach saw personal information, including the bank account, salary and national insurance details of 100,000 members of the supermarket's workforce, posted to a file-sharing website by a former staff member of Morrison's, a Mr Andrew Skelton. Mr Skelton, who worked as a senior internal IT auditor at Morrison's, was disgruntled after having been internally disciplined for unauthorised use of the firm's internal mail systems for private purposes. Mr Stoughton is currently serving an eight-year prison sentence and is currently set for release in early 2020. The success of Morrison's appeal will hinge on the Supreme Court's decision as to whether or not the 1998 Data Protection Act excludes the application of vicarious liability to a breach of the Act or for misuse of private information or breach of confidence. It will also look at whether or not the Court of Appeal erred in coming to the conclusion that disclosure of data by Skelton occurred during the course of his employment, for which Morrison should be held vicariously liable. Morrison's, which was represented at the Supreme Court hearings this week on the 6th and 7th of November by Lord Panic, and for UK listeners, if that name sounds familiar, Lord Panic is the person who acted for Gina Miller, in the cases against the government under Brexit and again in the prorogation argument over whether prorogation by um, Boris Johnson was legal or not. So Lord Panic, a well-established barrister, is representing Morrison's 
and he's arguing that the High Court and the Court of Appeal both made a mistake when it came to determining the liability because Stoughton's job description was not to leak data. The breach did not actually occur during the course of his employment and therefore Morrison should not be held liable. Now, Lord Panic is obviously a much more experienced legal mind than mine, but I think it's being a little incredulous, should I say, to try and say, well, because someone's job description didn't say they were to leak data, their employer's not liable. That's like, a bit like saying, um, if I'm a railway company and I employ a train driver and a train crashes, then I'm not liable for the fact the train crashed because his contract of employment didn't say his job was to crash trains. Um, so we'll see. But I personally, I, I think it's a bit of a weak defence. But we'll see what happens. We'll follow the case with interest, of course. Now, Lord Panic, in his statements to the court, said that this is a remarkable case because the employee's purpose here was specifically to damage the employer. It is true that there were other victims, but they were not the targets, and it would be striking indeed if an employer is vicariously liable for wrongful acts specifically aimed at that employer when the judges rejected all criticisms of Morrison's for hiring that person and trusting him, said Panic. At this point, can Morrison's really be vicariously liable for the acts of a rogue employee specifically directed at Morrison's, he said. Morrison's had previously pointed out that it worked to get the data removed as soon as possible, provided protection for protected employees, and gave them reassurances that they would see no financial disadvantage from the breach. As of April 2019, it said it had no evidence that anybody had suffered any direct financial loss arising from Stoughton's actions. That said, of course, the law doesn't only cover direct financial loss, it also covers consequential damages. And I think there could be a case to be made for distress, certainly, to all the affected Morrison's employees, because I'm sure all of us would find it concerning if we felt that our payroll information was now actually out there in the public domain. And so I think this is a case which many of us in the data protection industry will watch with considerable interest. And as soon as we have a ruling from the Supreme Court, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One company who will be watching the Morrison Supreme Court case closely are cybersecurity company Trend Micro. This week, cybersecurity company Trend Micro said that the personal data of thousands of its customers had been exposed by a rogue member of staff. Trend Micro say an employee sold information from its customer support database, including names and phone numbers, to a third party. Trend Micro became suspicious after customers started receiving calls from scammers who were posing as Trend Micro staff. The company says it has contacted those whose details were exposed. Trend Micro said it believed approximately 70,000 of its 12 million customers had been affected. Trend Micro provides cybersecurity and antivirus tools to consumers, businesses and organisations worldwide. In August 2019, it received reports that many users of its home security software had been receiving scam phone calls. 
scammers knew so much information about their targets that Trendmitra suspected that its customer support database had been breached. It later found its systems had not been attacked over the internet as it first thought, but it had in fact been an malicious insider who had caused the breach by selling data to a third party. Trendmitro said that the suspect, a Trendmitro employee, had improperly accessed the data with clear criminal intent. Our investigation revealed that this employee sold the stolen information to a currently unknown third-party malicious actor, the company said in a statement. The company said it was working with police and the employee in question had been fired. It said its customer support staff would never call people unexpectedly. If a support call was to be made, it would be scheduled in advance. If you receive an unexpected phone call claiming to be from Trend Micro, hang up and report the incident to Trend Micro support using our official contact detail, the company said. Now, while this case involves customers rather than employees, it is in many ways very similar to the Morrison's case in that much of what the liability of Trend will be to its customers could depend on the ruling in the Morrison's case on whether an employer is responsible for the actions of one of their employees, even if that action is in itself unlawful. So we wait and see what happens in this case, and we will of course bring you any updates as we get them in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The University of Hertfordshire had a data breach this week when it inadvertently shared the personal details of around 2,000 students in an email promoting a lecture. The email from the Creative Arts Store at the University of Hertfordshire included an attachment which included all the recipients' names and email addresses. The university says it has reported itself to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, as a result of this data breach, and it added that it took data protection extremely seriously. In a statement, it said the email was not sent to all students, and the incident affected a group of students in one of our schools of study. The relevant students were contacted immediately, and the email was recalled. We are contacting all affected students with information and advice. We are carrying out an internal investigation, and have informed the Information Commissioner's Office. The email, which was sent on Wednesday morning this week, informed students about a fine art talk that afternoon with visiting artist Harold Offay. Now, given the limited amount of data here, that it is just names and email addresses, given that the university acted quickly, given that the university has reported itself to the ICO, personally, I would doubt that the ICO would take any significant action other than telling the university to be more careful and please don't do it again. Um, But if we receive any update from the ICO or from the university, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It seems like hardly a week goes by on the GDPR Weekly Show where we don't mention Facebook at some point during the programme. And this week, Facebook has quietly revealed another privacy breach, this time involving approximately 100 developers. On Tuesday this week, Konstantinos Papamiladatis, Facebook's Director of Platform Partnerships, said that the names and profile pictures of users connected to groups and the system's API had been accessible. 
Before April 2018, group administrators could authorise an app for a group they managed, giving the application developer access to this information. Despite restricting information access to just the group's name, the number of users and post content, unless users opted in to share their name and profile picture, in April last year, Facebook says that some apps retained access to this additional data until recently. In a statement, they said that as part of the ongoing review, they recently found that some apps retained access to group member information, like names and profile pictures in connection with group activity, from the group API for longer than Facebook had intended. Facebook went on to say that they have since removed this access. In total, roughly 100 developers may have accessed this information. The tech giant Facebook knows of at least 11 developers that have accessed data they should not have been able to tap into within the last 60 days. Facebook is now reaching out to developers. They say that there is no evidence of abuse, but they were asking developers to delete any group member data the developers may have harvested. Audits will also take place to make sure that developers are complying with this new instruction. Facebook says that the apps involved were primarily related to social media management and video streaming software. In a statement, Facebook went on to say, we aim to maintain a high standard of security on our platform and to treat our developers fairly. As we continue to work through this process, we expect to find more examples of where we can improve, either through our products or changing how data is accessed. So yet another example of where Facebook has had a data breach, and doubtless this one too will be investigated by the Irish ICO in due course, since the Irish ICO is assumed responsibility for investigating all data breaches involving Facebook. So we'll keep an eye on this and if we have any updates we will of course bring them to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. A couple of weeks ago in episode 63 of the GDPR Weekly Show we mentioned about the fact that the German Data Protection Authority were working on now a new formula for calculating the fines to be imposed on companies that breach GDPR within Germany. And we've seen the first example this week of that being put into action. The Berlin Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information has fined Deutsche Fern for alleged GDPR breaches of the company's data archiving solution. The fine, which amounts to roughly 14.5 million euros, has been calculated using the new German calculation rules. Deutsche Firm is contesting the fine according to information published by the company. This fine is obviously a clear warning from regulators, particularly in Germany, but we're seeing this across Europe as a whole now, and indeed here in the UK, that regulators intend to enforce GDPR compliance and sanction breaches more strictly. It's worth bearing in mind, of course, that even though your business insurance may cover you for the costs of a GDPR investigation, you probably find the insurance won't cover you for the actual cost of the GDPR fine. So it is another reason why all organisations should take GDPR very seriously. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've mentioned before about sometimes discovering unintended consequences of the introduction of GDPR. And one of these that's come to light this week is being the problems that GDPR is posing for pub landlords who 
take part in pub watch schemes. Um, for a number of these schemes across the country, it's become the norm for landlords to take a photograph of someone who is suspected causing trouble and then circulating that photograph and the name and description of the person via um, either email or SMS to other pub landlords in the local area so that they know to watch out for those people or persons and not allow them access to their pub or not to serve them alcohol. However, of course, this whole issue of sharing data like that um, becomes an issue under GDPR because these people are certainly not um, going to probably give consent to the landlord to take their photograph and have it shared with all the other local pub landlords. And equally, it seems that some landlords are struggling to find a legal basis on which they can continue to operate the pub watch scheme this way. One suggestion that has come forward is of course they could still pass on the information of the description of the individual but without any mention of name and without any photograph and that of course wouldn't fulfill GDPR because it wouldn't enable you to identify a fixed individual but then by its nature if that doesn't allow you to identify a fixed individual how does that help you ban the right person or not serve the right person when they come into your pub? This has come to a height this week in the Isle of Man where pub landlords have said they effectively can't operate their pub watch scheme anymore. Now, without doubt, this has not been an intended consequence of GDPR. And so we will be looking to get some guidance on this from both the ICO and our local um, constabulary here in Hampshire to see what information we can get on how they're recommending the pub watch schemes are being operated and we'll look to bring that to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. But in the meantime, if you are a landlord or you know a pub landlord and who operates a pub watch scheme, can you ask them or can you ask yourself whether you've considered GDPR in relation to the pub watch scheme and what you've done to get around it? And perhaps you'd be kind enough to email us at podcast at insurety.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y.co.uk and we'll bring the results to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show but it's certainly an issue which I say is without doubt something that's fallen foul of the law of unintended consequences. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.